start? I have so many questions. I... Shall we sit first? Oh, yes. Of course. The Eastern Slums. Hmm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Mm -hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell a paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? Have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? <sighs> I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things, huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize his effect. mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. 
I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Anything like this before. When I met Lilith, Mary, that day, I told my wife and my students I said she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. And here you are. Either. I, my whole life, I have wondered if I would see this day. Follow me, and you'll see more. Follow you? Join me and my students. In two days' time, we leave Capernaum. Come see the kingdom I am bringing into this world. But I... I, I can't. You have a position in the Sanhedrin. You have family. You are getting advanced in years. <laughs> I understand. But the invitation is still open. The invitation to what exactly? To lead a nomadic life, to... Give up who I am. It's true. There is a lot you would give up. But what you would gain is far greater and more lasting. Is this another one of your born-again mysteries? <laughs> uh, maybe. I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar. Think about it. Hmm? Take your time. On the morning of the fifth day, we leave and we'll meet by the well in the southern quarter of the door. 
kingdom of God really coming? What does your heart tell you? My heart is swollen with fear and wonder. You can tell me nothing except that I am standing on holy I don't know about you, but I've seen that scene several times now, and uh, it's not only visually inviting into that, I, I want to be sitting there with them. I, I don't know if you felt that, uh, but it's also quite emotional, and, and it's also mentally challenging to Nicodemus and to probably many of us. We, we have a lot of questions. We have a lot of thoughts. We have a lot of fears. We have a lot of doubts. So what I'd like you to do is at your tables... For a couple minutes here, if you've got, you got several people to share, you're going to have to move pretty quickly on this. I would like you to share what was something that struck you from that scene, that interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. And if you're watching online, if you're sitting alone, why don't you jump out to the chat and you can put what, what stirred you in the chat. If you have family and friends, you can share with one another. So here at your tables, take a couple minutes and just share one thing that stood out to you from that interaction. All right, I'm going to, I know you probably didn't have time to get everybody around, so you can keep talking underneath me. That's quite all right. I'm used to that. Uh, but I'd like to hear somebody that wants to be brave. What, what, what was something that stood out to you? Anybody, just somebody say something. Let me hear something that, so nobody else got anything out of that, huh? It's great. Well, go ahead. He said, the fact that he struggles with his faith, except that he has seen miracles himself. Thank you. I heard something about the wind. Anything in particular about it? Just, or that, that, the discussion around that? How you don't know where the wind's coming from or where it's going, but you know that it's there. Anybody else? Yeah. Gotcha. So Jesus knew uh, that Nicodemus would be giving us some things. He was obviously further along in age, and, and, and probably the comfort that he had. He was get, gained a lot of respect from being this Jewish religious leader, and yet he still called him to follow. Yeah, it's um, when when I think about Nicodemus, I can I can actually connect with Nicodemus quite a bit because I got a lot of questions. 
A lot of questions, and some of those, many of those have been answered, but I still have some. But you know, one thing he did do, he did well, is he asked his questions. He sought answers to them instead of letting them just be a barrier to who this person might be. Now, sure, he was fearful. He came at night. Most likely the reason he came at night is so that he wouldn't be seen talking to Jesus. But he also, he wanted to to come into contact with Jesus. He wanted to get the answers from Jesus himself. He wanted to engage with him personally. And we have the luxury of doing that today without a whole lot of pain. We have a, a book called the Bible that Jesus speaks in and through and quite frankly wrote. And he tells us all about himself. And yet... We often don't even go there to to learn, to know about Jesus. How could we begin to trust him if we really haven't got to know him? The other thing that Nicodemus was was trying to do, and you could see it in, in the pain of that scene, he was trying to let this new thing, this radical thing in his mind, challenge his thinking. How often do we do that? How often, honestly, do you like your, your way challenged? All the time. Well, that's good. I personally don't like to be challenged. I don't like being told when I'm wrong. I don't like being told when I might be wrong. And if my wife were sitting in here, she would be cheering. Let me read to you from John 3, just the beginning of what you saw acted out there. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. That just means he was one of the religious elite. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, which is really more than teacher. It's like, it's a sign of great respect. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, this is kind of interesting. He doesn't really comment about that. He just says, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is like, what do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? There was some humor there. I thought they played that out pretty well. So he continues, and let's read this up here on the side screens together. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. See, Jesus didn't try to answer all of Nicodemus' questions. He went right to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter for all of us humans is Jesus wants to show the way. And so he says the way is that you must be born again. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in the 60s and 70s and 80s, and to be called a born-again Christian wasn't always a positive thing. But that's the passage that that is referring to. And Jesus said it. You have to be born of the Spirit, and so how do you do that? Well, he says it's a mystery, first of all, but it's a trusting in Jesus. First, that he is who he says he is. He's the Son of God. 
And he does it just the Savior of the world. It's a personalization of that to say he's, he's my Savior. See, Jesus doesn't just want admirers. He wants followers. He doesn't want people to think, wow, that's, he does some amazing stuff. He's a great teacher. He did some miracles. We haven't seen people walk on water. We haven't seen people call people back from the dead. We haven't seen people heal people with demons or sicknesses or illness. We haven't seen that. But he says that's not why he came. He did that out of the compassion and grace in his heart. He wants followers, not admirers. And Nicodemus was sitting on that line between admirer and follower. Where are you? See, he's not impressed. Jesus is not impressed with our pedigree, where we were born, the good we think we've done, or quite frankly, the bad that we think we've done or have done. He's not, he doesn't care about external appearances. He goes right to our soul and says, listen, if you don't understand your soul and understand how broken and how sick and how sinful it is, you will never want the healer. You will never want the doctor. You will never want me as a savior because you don't think you need me. Jesus said, I have come to call the the sick, not the people that think they're righteous. And so Nicodemus is struggling with that. I've struggled with that. I'm sure many of you have struggled with that. To think, well, I'm, I've, done, I've been a pretty good person. I've been a pretty good person. I think I deserve heaven. And Jesus looks at every one of us, those that say that and those that, quite frankly, like me today, no, well, no, I'm in desperate need. Let me, let, me, let me say one thing about the journey as you, as you begin to, or maybe you're already moving along this journey towards Jesus. Sometimes I think uh, we get to this place where we think if we just say this certain prayer, that we are now, in a word, saved. A, a lot of congregations, a lot of people in the United States have said that a lot. Well, just say this prayer and you're saved. And I would have an argument with them. Because I believe that when you decide to follow Jesus, when you decide somewhere in your soul, your heart, to say, yes, I'm a broken human being in desperate need of a Savior and a new leader for my life, that is more of an initiation. That's the beginning of your journey, not the culmination of it. And so often we think, well, if we just get someone to say this prayer, that they're, they're in. And it's like, wow, there's a whole lot of following Jesus that goes from that point on. Not like you've just arrived. You came so close. Have you ever had a time in your life where you came so close? To however you want to finish that. I was thinking about a time in my life that I came so close to success. And then also in the very same instance, I came so close to death. Let me tell you about my last check ride, they call it, in pilot training, my evaluation flight for navigation. The last phase of pilot training, I'm literally 30 days away from graduating. I hadn't failed a check ride yet. I was feeling pretty darn confident as a student pilot, so much so that the night before that flight, I decided that I wasn't going to study as hard as I had for the others. You kind of see where this is going, don't you? 
woke up the next morning and got into the aircraft eventually with the evaluator pilot. In that aircraft, the T-38, the instructor or the evaluator sat in the front. I sat in the back, and immediately after takeoff, I would pull a hood up over the cockpit so that I could not see out because it's an instrument or navigation flight. So he could, of course, see, but I couldn't. So I had to rely all on my instruments. And the night before, what I should have done is I should have looked at something that I'm going to have them put up on the side screen here called an approach plate or an approach chart or an instrument approach. It's about the same size as my paper right here. And I had all the opportunity the night before to read it, to study it, to get familiar with it, to get intimate with it, if that sounds weird, but that's the truth. Like, I should have known it inside and out on the ground before I tried to fly that in the air. And so as I was flying something very similar to this, I couldn't find one because that's been 32 years ago. I couldn't find the actual one. And for you that you look at that, most of you are like, what is that? But I got to tell you, that's a real simple instrument approach. And that thing would have been sitting on my left leg or my right leg, I can't remember. And my checklist would have been on the other leg. And I would have been sitting there flying this aircraft. And I was all over this, man. I was kicking butt on this check ride. And I got down to the final approach fix, and I moved beyond the final approach fix. And if you'll bring up the next slide, there's something in that yellow box that I did not see. And so as I'm flying down final, again, I can't see, but he can. And he's going to take the aircraft, and he's going to do the landing because I can't see. But I feel the the stick shake, and I hear in his voice, I have the aircraft way earlier than he should have taken it to do the landing. And my heart sunk because I knew at that moment, even though I didn't know why, that I had failed that check ride. And he comes on in, and I'm sitting here in my head racing. Why did I, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And just about the time he landed, I looked down, and I saw, you can take that off, but there's, there's a hard altitude that I wasn't supposed to go below up until a certain distance from the runway. And as I was about to go below it, he took the aircraft. I was so close to passing that check ride. I was actually close to an outstanding performance, he later told me. But here's the thing. I didn't realize until we actually landed, debriefed that flight. And he doesn't tell you that you failed, but I knew I had. And then we had to fly back to Lubbock Air Force Base, or Reese Air Force Base in Lubbock, Texas. And the whole way I knew I had failed... But you can't let that affect your performance on the flight back, so you kind of had to put it out of your mind. And finally, when we landed and debriefed, and he said, yeah, you failed. Out of like 50 checks to mark off, all of these were outstanding or excellent, and two I failed for. Situational awareness and instrument approach. And it's that point when I drove home that day, I thought, oh, I almost killed both of us. See, that step-down altitude is there because there's some obstacle that you've got to clear until that distance then to descend and land. And here's the thing. I followed that plan. I followed the way that they said that this has been proven. The proven way to land that aircraft at that, air, at that airfield was right there on my leg. I could have said it the night before, but I followed it 95%. But the 5% could have killed me. Because following something 95% still leaves you 5% short. 
And I think that's a lot of the ways that we approach Jesus. He has shown us the way. He's given us an approach, a plan. He says, I am the way. Follow me. And normally, our first reaction to that is something that Nicodemus did. If you saw him in that scene, he reacted. He's like, but I, but, but I. It's like, yeah, you have to let go of I. There is a point in your spiritual journey that you have to surrender. And most of us in this room and most of us watching online, maybe it's because of our upbringing in, in the United States. Maybe, actually, it's all free countries. We, we have this thing in us that says, no, surrender. I will not surrender. We just celebrated July 4th, our Independence Day, which was about fighting for our independence. And we don't want to surrender. Why did Nicodemus fight it so much? What did he have to give up? He had some comfort. Even though they were in Roman-occupied territory, he had, he had some comfort. He had some wealth. He had good food, probably a warrant, nice place to stay, a nice house. He had respect. He had knowledge that was being challenged. And he's like, I'm going to have to give all that up? Maybe. Yeah. How about you? In what ways do you follow your way instead of God's way? What resistance is inside of you, even right now, to what Jesus wants to do in your life? Can you name it? Have you thought about it? Those are real. I still have them. But God, but God, I, but God, I. And he's like, boy, if you keep starting the sentence with that, instead of, God, I surrender. Why do I doubt your way and constantly follow my way when my way constantly fails me? Hmm. See, just like that arrival chart helps you land safely and live, Jesus gives us a clear plan. We may not think it's easy, but he never said it was going to be easy, but it is very, very clear. So let's look at that plan. Coming from Luke 9, 23 through 24, and you can follow along on the side screens. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily. The cross is an instrument of death, by the way. And follow me, he says. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. I'm going to paraphrase him. He says, I am the way. Follow me. So not only is he the way maker, but he is the way. He is the author of life, and he's the author of rebirth. And he's the author that says, follow me. I'm the way. So what would compel you to surrender your life to Jesus and follow him? What would it take? Would it take a personal interaction on a rooftop at night, staring at him through a candlelight? Would it be emotional to hear him say some of those things to you? Have you ever investigated that for yourself? 
I think so often we try and take other people's opinions or something we find on the internet instead of actually getting our fingerprints on this book and letting Jesus tell us who he is instead of always believing either ourselves or somebody else's interpretation. So I encourage you to do that. I like to tell people, grab the book of Mark, mostly because it's short. It's shorter than the other four, three Gospels. Excuse me. Take a look at it. Engage it. See what Jesus did and why he ultimately came and what happened to him, and then watch as he dies and is resurrected. Who or what do you trust as your way? And let me just ask, is your way really working? In the quiet moments, if you take any, and that may be a problem with most of us, is we don't. But in those quiet moments when you reflect on your life, you just say, is my way working? I thought my way was working all the way down final. And had that evaluator pilot not taken that aircraft, I would have killed us both. That hit me more this week than it did the week after I flew that aircraft. Jesus says, I came to give you life. He says, you are all spiritually dead. That's what he said to Nicodemus. That's what he says here. And he says to give us life. And yet, I think a lot of times our fears hold us back. Well, well, what if? What if I give my whole life to him? What's going to happen? Are people going to call me a Jesus freak? I hope so. Are they going to say, well, you're just one of those weird born-again Christians? Well, I hope I would be said that about me and about you. See, I think our desire for comfort, our desire for our habits, our addictions, our desire for entertainment, our desire for fun, relationships, family, money, power, respect, fame, pleasure. Have I hit you yet? How about this? Even religion gets in the way of that relationship that he wants with us. That is the way, a relationship with him. Maybe it's buying the next thing that you're always looking forward to. Oh, I got to get that next thing and that will fulfill me. That's the way. Maybe it's the disappointment and pain of life. And many of you out there, many of us have had some incredible pain in our lives. Death of loved ones, injuries, cancer, all kinds of other health things, and, and many, many more, too numerous to mention. But if that's our way, if we stay there, Jesus says, you will not have life. And he talked to Nicodemus about what you gave up by not following. Let's talk about that for a second. What do you think Nicodemus gave up by not following him in that moment? I was sitting with our men's group yesterday morning, One of the guys shares this painful story about his son who had committed suicide several years ago. We've heard heard about this. We, We can see the pain in his heart. And I sat there and thought, but but I've been journeying with you now for what, over two or three years, and I would have missed that had you not decided to trust Jesus. I would have missed that had I not decided to trust Jesus. That's what Nicodemus gave up is he gave up the opportunity to see life transformation in himself and in others. He gave up a front row seat to eternity. And all he got to do was kind of hear about it from Jerusalem in the comfort of his home. 
instead of being there witnessing what the Son of God was doing on earth. And that's what we give up when we decide to just kind of get a little dose of the ghost, when we think that church can save us or religion and not pursue a personal relationship with Jesus. That starts with being reborn, being recognized that he gives us life if we will just take it. It's a gift. It's the greatest gift ever given. But I know for me, it doesn't stop there, and I know it doesn't stop there with you as well. The surrender is a lifetime of surrender. I like to think of it this way. Surrender, move, stumble, and repeat. Surrender, move, stumble, and repeat. Surrender, move, stumble, and repeat. I won't say it again, but I live it, and you should live it too. I've learned something in my spiritual journey that I still don't always embrace totally. And that is moving my trust from myself to God. Learning to trust Jesus and what he did for me and who he is and the way that he is, that he says he is, to follow him instead of following what I think is best for me. So my question to you today is, will you surrender to him? Have you? And will you again? Because it's a repetitive surrender. It's not a once and done. Don't just come close. 95% devotion is 5% too little. I was 95% accurate flying that instrument approach, and it nearly cost me my life. Don't be 95% close on this devotion thing. Surrender. Move. Stumble. And repeat, Jesus has spoken, and this is the way. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, there are probably just a few, a handful of words that need to consistently and continuously infiltrate my spiritual journey, and one of those is surrender. Oh, there is something deep in my American soul or my American brain that says no surrender. And you come along and say, well, that's actually the path to life. This to surrender to me. And although you've proven time and time and time and every time in my life and in others that you love us and you've shown us that way, I still choose my own many times. So God, help us to surrender our lives to you. Help us to surrender our pride. Help us to surrender our way to the way, your way. And we can trust you as the way maker and we can simply be followers of the way. Thank you for Jesus who came not just to remove Rome or to reinstall the nation of Israel, but to defeat sin and death. Help us to surrender to that grace 
It's amazing. It's stupendous grace. We don't understand it. We certainly don't deserve it, but you offer it to us anyway. Thank you for his sacrifice, and thank you for his resurrection, and thank you that we can follow him into eternity with you. Amen. Yeah, I don't know where you are in that place of coming to surrender. Maybe you have, maybe you will, maybe you need to. I hope that if you're on this side of it, still thinking about it, that sometime this week you would carve out some, some time, an investment in your soul to just really wrestle with the greatest gift ever offered and whether you want to surrender your life to that person that offered it and is also the way. We have some things coming up this fall. I'll let you know, starting in late August, early September, there's going to be some chosen groups that meet. Uh, our men's group, for example, just got done doing season one. Uh, we actually watched it last summer, and we redid season one just recently because we used the workbook, the accompanying workbook, and it's been amazing to all of us in that group. And there will be men's groups and women's groups and co-ed groups, and we're looking for some leaders. If you've been in groups a while and you think, I, could, I can lead one of those it's really just turning on the DVD player or going to the internet and, and just kind of guiding you through those questions. Maybe for you, it's baptism that's coming up later this, uh, it'll be in November, but we'll have a baptism class. It's only two or three weeks. Maybe it's worth investigating who Jesus is. Uh, we just finished up an Exploring Jesus class. It was seven weeks long, actually eight because we took a break during the 4th of July week. And it was amazingly impactful looking at how the folks that were in it responded to the little follow-up questionnaire. It's worth investigating, and I implore you to continue to investigate this person who says, I am the way, follow me. And I hope that you would move once you've surrendered. Move and know that you're going to stumble. We all are, but we can help one another up, and we can repeat the process. If you're looking for someone to pray with you or for you, there will be some folks down front here. Join us next week as we continue with Mary Magdalene. Have a great week.